This is Divorce Happy Hour, a show about divorce and issues people face going through divorce. Your co-hosts are Christina Previtt and John Nocklinger. For more information about the show and to connect with us, head over to divorcehappyhour.com. And now, on to today's show. here today with Divorce Happy Hour, and this is Dr. Terry Orbach joining us today, the relationship expert. And as we just indicated before the cameras went live, the love doctor. Mm -hmm. We were talking about how people lower their voice when that (laughs) happens, and I don't know why, but it does seem appropriate. So Dr. Terry, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Christina. And I know I didn't give you the very best intro. So if you will, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and why you are the love doctor? Absolutely. Well, I am a professor, a relationship expert, a research scientist, an author, a dating and relationship coach, a marriage and family therapist, and the love doctor in the media, as you said, Christina. I also have been following the same 373 couples now for over 32 years, and it's a project funded by the National Institutes of Health and the largest study of its kind in the United States. That's incredible that you've managed to hold on to all of those couples all this time. Well, I'd like to say that, well, I haven't been able to hold on to all of the couples. (laughs) First, I should say that 46% have divorced, which is very much similar to the national average in the United States, divorce rates. Um, And some people, and we continue to follow the divorced individuals over time. And we look at repartnering and the effects of divorce on children and them. Um, So we continue to follow those people as well. I also like to say, Christina, that 71% of the divorced individuals have repartnered in happy, healthy relationships. So that's a wonderful statistic. But along the way, we did lose people, so to speak. Um, Some people passed away. Some people have illnesses where they're no longer able to answer the surveys and the interviews. And some people a very small percentage we lost, so to speak, where we can't find them, even though we do lots to try to track them and get them back into the study. But the refusal rate or those people who decide not to be a part of the study is also very low. It's only like 2%, which is good. That's interesting. They must get something out of it. So the topic today is the science of happy relationships. And and this is certainly related. This is your work that you do. And I'm kind of curious, what have you learned from this study about these married couples? Mm. Well, I've learned many things. The first, I think, most important thing is that it isn't the big gestures and the big things that we do to keep our relationship happy, our relationships happy and healthy over time. It's actually the small, consistent things that we do almost every day that make our relationships happy and healthy. For example, one of the things I found is that daily affirmation or doing or saying something small to your partner every single day is significant 
for happy, healthy relationships over time. So you can wake up and say, I love you. You're great. You're wonderful. You make my life exciting. Or you can do something for them, like turn on the coffee pot in the morning because you know they love caffeine, or give them a hug, buy them a small gift. Doing that regularly, daily, says to your partner, I see you, you're important, you're special, and I don't take you for granted. What are some bigger things? Because it seems to me if you're doing those things, but then on some bigger issues like deciding whether to move to advance one party's career or, um, you know, give, let someone have a little more autonomy um, and, you know, by having being able to go out and socialize, you know, because some some couples, you know, have different opinions about those kinds of things. So what if, what if those things are consistent? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, um, you can have those differences, by the way. Um, but the big thing in response to those differences, whether it be differences in how you're going to spend your money or differences in who you're going to visit for the holidays, your family or your partner's family, the big issue is that you want to accept those differences and not try to change your partner. So many people try to change the partner, right? Yeah. I want you to do or believe what I believe. And so if you're able to accept and compromise, and compromise has gotten such a bad rap, Christina, <laughs> out there in the media. What we mean by uh, compromise is coming to the middle and doing something very different, doing it your way for one year and then my way for another year, or even going outside the box and doing something completely creative and different, like inviting both sets of families to mm -hmm. your house. So it's all about compromise and accepting differences and differences being okay and that it doesn't mean that your relationship is in trouble. But there are other big issues yeah. and strategies as well. One of them is that you want to handle conflict and disagreements in your relationship well, constructively. Some people think that conflict or disagreements is bad. And actually, there were 12 couples in my study in year one who said, we never fight. Mm -hmm. We never have disagreements. Yeah. None of them were together in year three. Interesting. Interesting. I know. What so do you attribute that to? Well, I think that if you don't talk about the important things in your relationship, um, you keep them inside and they fester and they get bigger. And not only do they work on you and your health and well-being as an individual, but I think they also affect your relationship over time because then all of a sudden your partner does something small or little and you explode or you begin to handle conflict defensively or not well. So I would argue, and following these couples over time, that it's how you do conflict that is important, rather than whether or not you have conflict and disagreements. And that if you do have disagreements, it probably means that you're talking about the things that are important to you. Because when you think about it, why would you agree on everything with your yeah. partner? There are bound to be differences, right? Of we come course. from different families, backgrounds, religions, neighborhoods. 
oftentimes we're different genders. And so you're bound to be different from your partner. So it's how you handle it. Do you handle it well? That really turns out to predict whether you stay together and you're happy and healthy over time. So what does a healthy fight look like mm -hmm. or sound like? Good question. Um, the first thing I always tell people is that you want to stop when you're having a disagreement and breathe. Because what we know is that calm and respect is so important. And oftentimes when our partner says something and we disagree, we might react rather than respond. Mm -hmm. So if you can just be calm for a second, breathe, take several seconds, and then respond, that helps the disagreement going forward. Also, we know that it's okay, Christina, when we look at research, mine included, that you can take a break. You don't have to do it right away, as long as you tell your partner that you need a break. So you can tell your partner that you need seconds or minutes rather than hours to go get a glass of water downstairs, to take a walk around the block, to calm yourself, to go to the bathroom, to do whatever you need to do. Because science shows us that it takes your brain at least 30 minutes to go back to normal after you have been triggered, so to speak, so that when you hear something that upsets you or that you disagree with or is going to start conflict, your brain goes into hyperactivity and we can't rationally problem solve. It takes at least 30 minutes. I always tell my clients, Christina, that it's okay to go to bed mad even because if you don't, you will never sleep that night perhaps. Because yeah. you're constantly in that agitated mm -hmm. condition. And if you wake up the next morning, you are more calm. And sometimes we can't even remember what we were fighting about. Yeah. Also, respect, validation, um, using your I statements rather than you statements. And just remembering that your partner has a perspective that may be different than yours, which is empathy, are all important skills or strategies for a healthy disagreement. I think what I see a lot, even in myself, is that when you're triggered, as you said, I think it's normal to, uh, to start thinking of yourself and what you want and what would make you feel comfortable in that moment or, you know, whatever, whatever the issue is that has brought about the conflict. I think it's natural for us to just be thinking about ourselves. Can you speak to that a little bit? Cause I know that it's more valuable to try to also recognize the other person's position. That can be really hard. And that can be really hard, Christina. I agree. I do think it is very typical, very common for us once we're triggered to say, I'm this, or I can't believe they said this to me, or I can't believe that they wouldn't think of me, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. When you're absolutely right, we need, it's important to recognize us. And when you come back to your partner, use your I statements rather than you statements. So at that moment, 
I often say to myself in a conflict or disagreement with my husband, how do I feel now? What do I think about what he just said? And instead of saying, you did this, you did that, I first say, I'm feeling upset because I don't think you recognized my feelings, my family, my situation. So it's okay to be in the you and the I language. And that's okay at the first part when you respond rather than react. I feel this. I feel that. I'm experiencing this. And then try to begin to turn it around and think, well, what is my partner feeling? Why might they have said that? The interesting thing, Christine, is that when we look at people's behaviors, most of their behaviors is due to them, mm. not us. Mm -hmm. So if my partner is getting defensive, my partner is not very nice, my partner is disrespectful, my partner said something that I don't like, usually 90% of the time it's because of them and something that's going on with them rather than me. So if you can think that way when it happens, then the disagreement or conflict might go better along the way. And this is also something that we can utilize when we're talking to other people, not just romantic relationships, but maybe employers or, or co-workers or for myself being self-employed, my business partner or pretty much anybody that you really have relationships with. Is that right? Oh, oh very good point, Christina. This is when we're dealing with all of our relationships. I often tell the story of my daughter who used to be a teenager. She's now in her early 20s, but at the age of 13, she wasn't happy with her mother, me, right? And she would say things like, um, I hate you, or how can you do that to me? Or you are making my life terrible or miserable. And at first, I would try to engage and I would think about, well, how can she say that to me, right? That's that I. That's that thinking about us. And then when I realized, when I said back to her, I love you, you're wonderful, and I'm always here for you, those positives, those affirmations, it cut the tension. It let go of her anger. So this is true for all of our relationships. And for me, it was especially true for the relationship with my daughter during those very challenging teenage mm -hmm, yes. years. <laughs> yes. Well, I was a teenage girl once, so I, uh, I definitely can understand those teenage years are rough with, between moms and daughters. Yes, me too. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, it sounds like you almost have to be superhuman when I, when I'm hearing you say these things, I, I imagine if you ever have conflict that your, your voice stays the way it is right now, mm. but for the rest of us where this might be something new, I imagine it's, it's difficult to try to get into a new pattern. How can we do that? If we've been, you know, fighting dirty for years and years, how do we now try to do the things that you're suggesting? Mm -hmm. Well, very good question. First of all, I should say, Christina, that 
I am not good at disagreements either. I do not have a perfect marriage, parent-child relationship, and I am not perfect. Just because I study it and I love to talk about it um, doesn't mean that I don't sometimes do not-so-positive strategies in my own relationships because we're all human and it is difficult. And sometimes we are triggered. A triggered is an emotional situation that again gets us where we are and we sort of lose touch with reality for seconds or minutes. But in terms of how we break patterns, myself and my patterns included, again, it's all about simple, small goals or simple, small changes. So instead of saying to yourself, I'm going to be perfect and I'm going to do all of the strategies that Dr. Terry just mentioned, try one. Work with one. Have a small goal that you think can be achievable between now and next week or between now and next month. Realize that practice is what's important and then realize that you're going to make mistakes along the way. And it's all about saying I'm sorry to yourself as well as your partner. And again, that may be your romantic partner, a child, a work colleague, a friend, or another family member. I'm sorry. I'm working on this goal. I am trying to be better at dealing with conflict. So small changes, making small goals, practice, and then apologizing to yourself and other. Mm, good advice. I will try to incorporate that better into my life. So you indicated that rather than re react, we should respond. Did I get that right or did I get yes. that backwards? Okay. You got that right. <laughs> Sometimes when you're in the moment, you you can you're not thinking in you, with your intellectual brain, right? Mm -hmm. You're emotional. And you said that it can take 30 minutes for that to kind of taper. Mm -hmm. So if you're you're in a situation where you don't have 30 minutes to remove yourself. Um, an example that I can think of is as a divorce lawyer, we might be at mediation and people get extremely emotional I and mean, they walk in the door emotional and they can be extremely emotional during that whole process. Not even addressing really the legal issues that we have to discuss for them. It's an emotional experience for me. It's an intellectual experience because I'm their lawyer, but for them, it's an emotional experience. So what is some advice that you could give people that maybe have to go to a mediation um, who want to try to stay calm during that time? Mm -hmm. Good question. Well, I think it's all about identifying your own personal triggers before that mediation, before that situation, and then a coping strategy where you're able to manage the trigger because we have triggers and they really never go away. We just learn to manage or cope with them better. So if you can, before a difficult, challenging situation, where, whether that be a divorce mediation situation meeting, whether that be when you give a presentation, whether that be when you're going home for the holidays and you're going to see a family member that you know is going to say something that you're going to react to, mm. right? Right. Those identify those triggers down. 
and then come up with a coping strategy to deal with it at the moment. So for some people that might be, my parent is going to say, you know, when are you going to have children? Or when are you going to find the right person to marry or to live with or to have a long-term relationship? Well, at that point in time, I'm going to count to five and focus on my breath. At that moment, I'm going to think about, another example would be at that moment, I'm going to think about that this person is a small child and they are very lonely or sad because immediately our body is going to react and then respond differently when we have that coping strategy. Or, for example, some people use it where they have an image in the back of their mind anytime they experience a trigger and they think they're going to react, they think of that image. And it might be the ocean, which calms them. It might be a sun, which makes them happy and smile. So think of your triggers and your coping mechanisms ahead of time. And that will then help you during that challenging, stressful event or situation. That's a, that's good advice because you go into it already prepared. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Really and knowing is key. By yeah. the way, knowledge is key. So you're really training yourself to just have a different pattern. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's all about our brains and our minds and how we interpret things. And then the connection to that interpretation and our emotions. So like you said, Christina, it's all about changing the pattern, right? Change the interpretation of the situation and you change the emotion or the reaction. Okay. I hope everyone is listening to that and is going to employ some of those strategies. I am interested in hearing more about the couples that you've been studying. Um, what else, what other insight can you give us into what, what made a lasting relationship versus not a lasting relationship? Well, I think there are two other really interesting, important things. The first was communication. Now, we all hear that all the time, right? Communication, you have to talk to one another. And most of the couples in my study, Christina, thought that they were communicating all of the time. But when you ask them what they were talking about, they said, who's going to pick up the kids, who's going to do the grocery shopping, who's going to do the laundry, pay the bills, or call parents. And really, that's not communication. That's maintaining a relationship or maintaining a household. So what couples need to do in order to stay happy and healthy over time is share personal dreams, thoughts, opinions, desires, aspirations, and stressors. So what I have developed given this study and all of the findings is what I call the 10-minute rule. And when couples do this, they begin to really communicate with one another. They begin to get to know one another again, and they are happier and healthier over time. And the 10-minute rule is every single day for at least 10 minutes, Christina, you want to talk about something other than these four topics, work, family or children, who's going to do what around the house, or your relationship. 
And so a lot of people say, oh no, right? What, what am what? I going to talk about? <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's the goal, to come up with those other topics. And again, you can talk about what are you going to be doing in five years? What are you most proud of? What do you regret doing in the last year? You can talk about, you know, your childhood and things you've never asked your partner. You can talk about what stresses them out, who their best friend is, or if you won the lottery, what would you do or where would you travel to and why? Favorite movies, music, all kinds of topics that you don't talk about over time in a relationship. And interestingly enough, Christina, we talk about those topics at the beginning of a relationship to see whether or not we like that person, but yeah. then we stop. And so yeah. it's important to continue to do that kind of communication. It's almost like we think, well, I already know him or her, but you're, we're always evolving as, as people. Right. And people change, mm -hmm. right? What I said in my 20s versus now about what I would be doing in five years or where I would like to travel to if I won the lottery, the time periods are different. My answers are different. Yeah. So it's important to continue to talk to your partner and really get to know them. Those couples in my study who said, I intimately know my partner, and I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about know their dreams and aspirations and goals, were significantly more happier over time. So they were happy just as individuals and in their relationships? Mm, well, that's a good question. Um, that's a good point. They were significantly happy as individuals. But the relationship or the association was between getting to know your partner and the happiness in the relationship. So they were happier as individuals, but the real significant impact or influence was that you know your partner well. And when you know your partner well, you're much more likely to be empathic, right? And understand their perspective. You actually handle disagreements and conflict like we talked about better. And the other thing that is even more interesting and surprising is that that adds passion and excitement mm -hmm. to the relationship as well. So couples felt more passion. They had sex more often. And I'm talking about satisfying sex more often. And they were just, they felt that the relationship was more exciting over time as well. And so that's another thing that I learned following these couples, that there are two kinds of love, companionate love and passionate love. And the companionate love is the love of support and friendship and intimacy and getting to know your partner. And that's really important over time. We need to feel like our partners are there for us and we know our partners, and that really predicts happy, healthy relationships over time. Passionate love, the love of arousal and excitement, um, is also important, but it inevitably declines in all relationships, romantic relationships over time. So those couples who stay happy and healthy over time do what I call reignite the passion. So they do things to reignite the passion over time. Because remember, passionate love does not stay. It can't stay. 
-hmm. And there are three ways to reignite the passion. One is to get to know your partner better, to learn different things, surprising things about your partner that you didn't know. And we talked about that, right? That's real communication. The second strategy is to do new activities or novel activities with your partner, things you've never done before. Because newness or novelty leads to passion. So you could try a new sport together. You could do a new class together. You could learn Spanish or French with your partner. You could take a salsa dance class. You could do a cooking class. You could go to a new restaurant. Anything new or novel will increase passion and reignite the excitement. And the third strategy is what is my favorite, by the way. And it's what I call do an arousal producing activity with your partner. But it's not what you think. <laughs> it sounds dirty. <laughs> yeah, it sounds dirty, but it's actually clean. Um, what we know is that if you do an activity that creates arousal or adrenaline with your partner, like you exercise with your partner, you go on a roller coaster ride with your partner, you watch a scary movie, or even go to a comedy show or club and, and, and you know, laugh where you have that arousal kind of laughter, the adrenaline or arousal produced by the other activity will get transferred to your relationship and to your partner as long as you're with your partner. So if you go on a roller coaster ride or you exercise with your partner, you will increase the passion and excitement in your relationship right afterwards. So if you do an arousal producing activity, then you will increase passion and excitement, which leads to happiness long-term over time for couples. I like that. You know, I've heard differing reports about the COVID experience that we're all having right now. And one is that divorce is on the rise. I personally haven't observed that. And I don't really know what the data says. But then I've also read in other places that it's not that couples are actually coming together more because they're home and they don't have all these distractions of work and bringing the kids here and there. And, and like you said, you know, housekeeping kinds of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you've observed any of that with your couples. Mm -hmm. Well, first, if we look at the research, um, which there has been some, not a lot, and it's not on a lot of couples, we find very similar to your observation that only about 10% of couples actually are doing worse or extremely distressed. About 25% have actually, like you suggested, gotten better because they're spending more time together, they're doing housework together, um, and they are talking more with each other. Um, they're not as busy outside of the home as they were before pre-COVID. But the rest of the couples are the same. 
<laughs> um, and that doesn't mean that things aren't still challenging for all couples because, you know, you're with somebody 24-7 now. You might be teaching children in the house. You're not able to see other family members or go see friends. Um, the holidays are looking different. So it doesn't mean that the pandemic is not challenging. But if we look at people's reports about their relationships, that will, that's what we see. Um, as a therapist and coach, I tend to see people who are coming for help or assistance because they're having issues or problems and they want strategies or recommendations to improve their relationship, to get better. Um, one of the things I always say, and I have found in my study as well, Christina, is that you don't want to focus on the negatives. What we know is that if you can focus on the positives, what brought you together, the things that are going really well in your relationship during this pandemic or at all times, that will allow you to deal and manage the negatives better. So if you're not doing well at this moment, you're angry, you're distressed, your partner is getting on your nerves, sit down and write five positive things that you like about your partner that are going well. Because then those annoyances, those irritations um, won't seem as costly or negative. I always find that people wait too long to start doing things like that. I, I always say you can't, you don't call the fire department after the house is already burnt down. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any insight on that? Yes. Um, in my book that I write about this study, Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great, one of the things I say a lot, Christina, is exactly what you said, and that is sweat the small stuff. Mm. We've heard that you shouldn't, but I think when it comes to relationships, sweat the little things, sweat the small stuff. Because if you leave things go, or if you let things go, they become bigger and bigger. When they're little, we can unpack them. We can deal with them. We can have strategies to let them go or improve or work them out. But when they become big, it's so much more difficult. So at the beginning, when clients come to me and say, for example, I'm so irritated, my husband leaves the toilet seat up. And, and even though that is funny, it actually is true right? People do get so annoyed with their partner. Address that because yeah. that's easy to address. If you don't, what becomes the toilet seat is he doesn't listen to me. We don't love each other. I'm not sure I want to be in this relationship anymore. And when it gets to that point, that's difficult to unpack because it has layers of negativity. Yeah. So sweat the small stuff. Another one I hear is pick your battles, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. you should be, you know, you can only, you only get five, you know, a month and that's it. So pick them wisely. But mm -hmm. I, I think it's sort of the same idea. And I hope that people listening, if you're the guy that's leaving the seat up or whatever, you know, whatever small, whatever they seem like small things that your partner is complaining about, I hope that you will sort of think about that and say, well, you know, I know my wife or my husband's been complaining about that one little thing all the time and it seems so stupid and I don't even know why he complains about it. 
you know, maybe this is a good opportunity just to think to yourself, well, it might seem small to me, but maybe it does show a little bit of a lack of respect if your partner's constantly telling you that they don't like that and you still do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree with you 100%, Christina. It's not even a little disrespect. It's what we call dismissing somebody's feelings. And anytime we are dismissed in any area of our life, we don't like it. We all have a biological need to be seen. And when you dismiss someone, that allows them to think, hmm, that person isn't seeing me. And so I need to be seen by others. So that is so important not to dismiss your partner's feelings. You don't have to agree with them. Yeah. All you have to say is, I hear you. I understand that this upsets you. What can we do together to change this? And Good. that then your partner is seen, their feelings are validated, and now you can work on something to change the situation. Well, my boyfriend constantly leaves his towels. Um, he throws them over the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. It annoys me so badly. And he still does it. I'm going to play this for him. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Christina. Good. <laughs> you know, it also depends on how you go to your partner, too, with that annoyance. <laughs> So oh, if you say, to your, yeah, right. Oh, we'll, we'll shut up the show now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Point taken. Thank you so much. I, I feel like there's just so many things that I could ask you about. I probably should just start out by reading your books and they might answer a lot of the questions, but for people that are watching, how, what's the best way for them to find you and learn more about you? Mm -hmm. Well, I have a website. And it is Dr. Terry, D-R-T-E-R-R-I, the love doctor. And at the end, you can say D-O-C-T-O-R or D-R, it doesn't matter. So it's Dr. Terry, the love doctor.com. If you look me up, um, my last name is Orbach, O-R-B-U-C-H. You can also find me. So Dr. Terry, the love doctor.com or Orbach. Okay, I have it up there for everybody if they want to go to it. Tell us about your radio show, too, because I was lucky enough to be a guest on your show, and I thought it was wonderful. So tell people about that and how they can find you there. Mm -hmm. Well, you were wonderful to have as a guest, Christina. Such great yep. advice and information for all of my audience or everyone. Um, my radio show is called The Love Doctor Is In. And it is on Empower Radio, which is a streaming radio program that airs live on Fridays at 12 noon Eastern time and then becomes an archived podcast afterwards on iTunes and Stitcher and iHeartRadio and my website as well. So EmpowerRadio.com. But if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, you will also find it. The Love Doctor is in. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would love to have you back. There's so many topics we could get into. I would love that. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And thank you for watching Divorce Happy Hour, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. For more information, check out divorcehappyhour.com 
and please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.